Welcome to the Data Dive Podcast, a podcast where we share the stories of real-world data-driven applications in various industries, hear how some of the most innovative companies are being built, and much more. I'm your host, Abraham Cherian, the founder of Data Dive, an international youth-driven organization focused on developing data literacy among the next generation. Today, I'm delighted to have Nick Henderson on the podcast. Nick got his PhD in pharmacology from Duke before working as a neuroscience postdoc researcher. He now works as a data scientist at Twitter. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Nick. I'm so excited to have a conversation with you today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. So could you tell us a little bit about your background, you know, your PhD and how you got interested in data science? Sure. Uh, I think probably like most people in data science, it's not like a super straightforward path to data science. So yeah, I did my PhD in pharmacology thinking I would probably really enjoy doing research and sort of found out along the way that I, uh, I didn't love doing research all that much. Research is great and there are people who are great at it. For me, it was, it was a little slow um, and just kind of a slog. And yeah, I wanted something different. But I, I stuck around and finished my PhD. And uh, yeah, during that, I was, I was working um, on sort of like basic cell biology, working with, working with yeast, um, which are sort of, you know, the eukaryotic sort of model organism for like very basic cell biology, um, like the, the organism of choice for that kind of stuff. So I was working on understanding how cells can sense a chemical gradient and grow in the correct direction. So like very esoteric, basic cell bio stuff. And then after my PhD, I decided I wanted to give science one more chance, but I, I wanted to try something different because I knew I, I wanted something at least a little more translational. I thought that might excite me more. So yeah, at the end of 2019, I finished my PhD and I, I started a postdoc at UCSF doing neuroscience research. Yeah, that uh, was another challenging thing, I think. Uh, doing it, it ended up being you know, in some sense, more of the same for, for research. It was, it was a different topic and it was exciting to learn about a new topic, but the things that drove me away from science the first time continued to drive me away from it the second time. But the pandemic happened and I ended up having a lot of time away from the lab, a lot of time to sort of do my own thing. So I spent a bunch of that time sort of learning more data science skills because I knew I really liked working with data, that was like sort of the part of science that stuck. That was the part that I thought was fun. So yeah, I got to spend a bunch of time learning Python, learning SQL, learning sort of data science fundamentals. Then I did, I did a boot camp, as many people do and, uh, and managed to get the job at Twitter. So it's been a, a journey over the last couple of years. So do you think your experience like doing, I know you did some quantitative research at Duke, right? So was that really an inflection point that helped get you interested in data science? Or was it more like the pandemic hit and that's when you were like going further into data science? I think it's a, I would say that is an inflection point, but there are, there are many, right? So um, I liked working with data in, in grad school for sure. That was like doing the actual experiments running. So I, my experiments were all pretty much microscopy based. So it was sitting, sitting in the dark room on a, on a microscope for hours. And uh and then you'd get back these cool movies of cells with fluorescent probes in them, but um, it was all very tedious. But once I 
quantified things, which was also a, a quite a tedious process of sort of like manually circling cells in a uh, application called image J and quantifying the fluorescence and things like that. Once I had those numbers in what I was using then, which would be in Excel spreadsheet, then it was fun. Then it was, you know, it, my, my small version of big data, which was, you know, a couple hundred cells worth of data and looking for correlations and things like that. And, and I, you know, I, I spent a little time doing some MATLAB, learning a little bit of coding during graduate school, which I do think helped get me interested in, in pursuing it further. Cause I, again, I, I thought that part was fun and it's fast when you're doing that. It's like a, a toy that you're playing with and you can really manipulate the data a lot quickly and, and find things out. Whereas like when you're doing the actual experiments, it's you're, you are so the moment you're sitting on a microscope, you are so far away from learning anything about what you're trying to study um, that, it, that I found that very frustrating. But then uh, so the other major inflection point for me was um, when I moved out to San Francisco for the postdoc, um, uh, I met a person who I was at the time dating, um, who was a data scientist um, and uh, and she thought I would be a good data scientist. Um, and, and she helped really influence me to, to consider making a career change. So having that, that extra motivation was really helpful too. Yeah, that's a really unique story, right? So could you talk about the different research papers that you've published and your role in developing like mathematical models or quantifying the research a little bit more? Sure. So the, there's really, I'm on two papers. I was not a particularly prolific graduate student. Um, but uh, I, one of them is my actual, you know, paper, my actual first author paper. And there it was, again, I, I don't want to get too into the weeds on like the actual science there. It was, um, you know, understanding a mechanism cells are using to sense a gradient to grow in the correct direction. The idea being that yeast cells use this in the process of mating, but, you know, cancer cells can sense a chemical gradient and grow in the correct direction to metastasize, you know, sperm use that same type of mechanism to find an egg, things like that. There's, there's a lot of places where these things are happening. Neurons do it to, to grow in the correct direction as well. So in that context, so the lab I was working in, the Lev lab at Duke, uh, Danny Lev is a professor. He's awesome. I should just take a moment to call that out. There are some professors who are very focused on having research that is the highest impact research that it can be and pumping papers out fast and some that are really focused on mentorship and making sure their students are learning the right things and learning the right ways to think. And he was definitely the latter. And that made for, I didn't have fun in grad school, but he made it a lot better um, by being that type of mentor. But anyway, uh, I, I kind of go all over the place, I guess. The mathematical modeling aspect of it was, uh, this is again, part of what drove me to data science was that for the mathematical modeling during graduate school, I was the collaborator, not the actual person doing the modeling. And I was sort of jealous of the people who knew how to do the coding and who got to do the, the tinkering around on a computer part while I was doing the biology that would inform the modeling. Right. So the, the role that modeling played in my paper is, is the role that modeling plays in a lot of uh, sort of like, I think, more basic, like almost biochemistry papers, which is it's not proving anything. It is showing that the mechanism you're proposing could in, prin in principle work. Right. So obviously it's a it's a model. 
but it's showing like, hey, we have this idea for how we think things work and we can show that when we make a fake version of it in a computer, it in theory could do what we're saying it can do. And that can be you know, enough to, to help push your paper over the edge and make it a little better. So I think it was interesting that you mentioned that professor who had a big impact on you. Do you think like having him like help you and guide you through that research has helped you like as a data scientist in terms of being able to approach problems from various aspects? Because I think that's important research, but that's also really important data science, right? So do you think that made the crossover a little bit easier? Yes, absolutely. I think like, obviously the actual biology that I learned from him is no longer a part of my life in any way, shape or form. And I have to struggle to remember what I did in the paper that I wrote only a couple of years ago. But the sort of like teaching me how to approach complex problems and how to really is very good at asking the right questions, I think, and then being sort of skeptical about things, but in a, in a way that lets you really sort of understand problems deeper. And that I think helped me a lot. And also just like, just like basics, like writing skills, like being very particular about the way it wants things to be written and they have to be clear and each sentence should have an actual purpose and not be fluff, right? Things like that are helpful and presentation skills too. I, I, one of the things that I took away from his mentorship that I think still affects me a lot now that I, it's like a tip I will give to people is like, if you're making a presentation, finish, a, start a slide with a question, answering a question that you asked on the previous slide finish the slide with a question that you're going to answer on the next slide and just do that. It'll make you tell a story, right? Like here's the thing that we learned. This brings us to this next question and answer that question on the next slide. Like that, that sort of like very basic little tip I still use every time I make a presentation. And it, it makes people say that I give good presentations when really I'm just like using this little cheap trick. Yeah. So I guess grad school has helped you in ways you didn't even expect, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, because, you know, being a data scientist, right, like your role is to do data science, but it's also to influence people, to give presentations that, that change people's minds and, and sort of be a sort of person who's pushing strategy in a certain direction and, and being good at presenting is like, can change it from you doing, you spending 40 hours on an analysis and having it like people be like, oh, that's cool. Or are you spending 40 hours on an analysis and having people be like, oh, we want to use this to change the direction that our team's going to take in the next quarter. I like that. And it can be just because you presented it well or wrote a good doc. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially for people who might not be working in data science, if they're able to like become engaged with something that, you know, it's not really in their realm. I mean, then, you know, you did a great job presenting, right? So, yeah, I mean, you'd like to think the data speaks for itself, but it doesn't, right? Like you yeah. have to speak for the data. Yeah. Um, you got to put it together in a way that people are going to be interested. So could you talk a little bit about your role as a postdoctoral uh, researcher at University of California, San Francisco, where I think you did some neuroscience research? Sure. So that, I will admit that my postdoc, in a certain, to a certain extent, never really got off the ground. I, I started my postdoc um, in January of 2020. Um, so I was in the lab for two months, two and a half months, I guess, before everything shut down. And then uh, I eventually started going back into the lab once, once the, you know, once people sort of figured out how we can do things, and it's going into the lab with a mask on all day for two days a week, maybe. And yeah, it was, it was a project that was in the very early stages, which meant that it, it needed a lot of like, uh, a lot of things were going to go wrong before things were going to go right. 
So working at that pace of like that super limited, maybe two fifths of the pace I would have been working at meant I just didn't get very far. But I did get this really great opportunity during my postdoc to, uh, the lab I was in had some RNA-seq data that they hadn't done anything with yet because um, they didn't really have the right person to do stuff with it, which is <laughs> to say someone who knew how to do some sort of relevant coding to make it into something actionable or, or something that they could understand. So I got to spend some time, I got to use the fact that that data existed as a reason to <laughs> talk my PI at the time into letting me learn Python, um, you know, learn Python from home during the pandemic, basically. And um, and then I, I used it for, for that. And it was, you know, we didn't find anything out that was particularly groundbreaking, except for like, these cells have have uh, um, expression that's more similar to these other cells, and these are more different, right? I did some principal component analysis, but um, but it was like my my first sort of like true data science project and my learning project. So that was an incredibly valuable thing I got from the postdoc, even if the actual neuroscience aspect of it never really got all the way off the ground. Yeah, it's also really interesting, like with the timing with the whole pandemic. I mean, you were still able to find like uh, your passion in data science. I think that was that's really unique. Yeah, I mean, it's like this, you know, the extreme privilege to have a job that was stable enough and left me enough free time to kind of explore what I might really want to be doing with my time and take a bunch of Coursera courses and stuff, um, you know, during working hours. Um, so that was. Yeah, I, I was very lucky to be in that position. Um, and it, it resulted in me ultimately having a career now that like I am so much happier in. So now obviously you work as a data scientist at Twitter. You uh, mentioned this earlier, how you did some boot camps and things of that nature. So could you talk a little bit about the interview process to get the job you have now and you know what you would recommend for people sort of mid-career or like who are a researcher trying to make the same pivot that you did? Yeah, so first I would say that the uh, the boot camp for me was very helpful, but I don't I don't know that I'd recommend it for everyone. It having the skills to get through the interview is what I gained from the boot camp and then having a few projects that I could put on a resume. But getting interviews was hard. I you know I I was in I had a PhD. <laughs> I was interviewing for or, or uh, applying for postdoc, or sorry, not postdoc, data science positions and not getting interviews. I got an interview because I had a referral, um, right? And that that can be what it takes sometimes because it's it's a pretty, it, the field is slowly getting more saturated, especially at the entry level positions. Um, I think once you're in the door, once you have some experience, then you're like going to get recruited by people. Then you can jump around from companies at will, but um, getting that first one, one is tough. So a boot camp can help give you a little boost on your resume, but it's no guarantee. Um, and then the actual interview process. So for, for Twitter, I think it's pretty standard to how tech tech company interview processes tend to be. So there's a bunch of rounds, you know, there's a round where you're going to do um, some coding while you're talking through a problem. So it's like sort of business problem, sort of coding. Um, and, or at least in my interview, I, uh, that was what I had. And then there was, then there's around, you know, more like sort of algorithmic, like leak code style questions, but a little more mathy, like better if you can explain 
how it would better if you could explain how to do it in a deterministic mathematical way instead of only being able to do it via coding. And then, then the other rounds you'd expect. So a round where you're talking about product stuff with the product manager and, and you know, rounds with the hiring manager where it's just like sort of behavioral fit sort of questions. So it's, it's long, it's a long process. There's also a take home in there too. So it's like the, there's a first hour round with coding and stuff and then a take home thing that you do. And if that's good enough, then you get to do like the on-site round where it's a bunch that still have more coding. SQL, Python, you gotta be able to do those things. So like, I think one thing you, uh... One so a couple of interesting things you mentioned. So we're because you know you were you did an undergrad in bio, right? And then your uh, PhD was also in pharmacology. How much math were you doing then, or like how much? Because obviously you didn't have that much CS experience until obviously you did you know your postdoc research or a little bit I think at, in your time at Duke. Uh, but how? Because a lot of people might be coming out with like a math or CS undergrad or masters. So when you're competing against those people. Give, or like, do you think your math skills from all the research you did that help you know keep you competitive or give you give you an edge? I think it helped. I think I had part of it was that I studied, right? I I did some preparation. It's good to you know to study, brush up on some statistics, right? Like that's where data science really comes from. It's it's changed a lot now. I think um, you know a lot of a lot of companies like like a company like Twitter, right? Like there's going to be a, an autumn, a somewhat automated experimentation platform. So like I'm not running T tests in my daily life, really, but you need to know how that stuff works, right? You need to understand how just sort of like the basics of statistics work and what you'd use for different distributions of data and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of just brushing up on, on that. Um, so I think I was just able to, I've always been pretty strong at math, even if I haven't had the deepest math education. So I think I was okay in that sense that I was able to sort of pick that stuff back up kind of kind of quickly. Um, and then also like during my PhD, I wasn't doing super complex math, but I was around it. <laughs> I was uh, with the mathematical modeling, you know, around me. And then also, um, you know, there's, you're doing statistics. You have to do statistics to put out a paper. And, and there you're going to have, enough buzzwords about different things that you know how to do do a cross covariance or whatever you know like you'll understand enough little things that you'll be able to to say the things that indicate that that you understand how to work with data in a way that isn't just like the most basic like this average is higher than this average therefore you know that kind of thing gotcha gotcha so it was it wasn't like you know you just picked up math from nowhere you had you had exposure to it and it was okay gotcha yeah, I had, I had enough exposure, but also I spent some time learning it. And in the boot camp I did was not, was not pure coding, right? Like there was, there was math. They wanted us to like learn how to do machine learning, but also understand how these algorithms sort of work. Gotcha. So could you talk a little bit about your current work at Twitter? Maybe give us a little bit of rundown of what you do. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I work on a team that's focused on, um, getting new users in the, in the door, basically. So uh, it's actually different than a lot of the other data scientists at, at Twitter, because most, or at any, any company, I think most, any social media style company, I guess, most people are gonna be working on the logged in users, right? Whereas I'm work, working on data from people who haven't logged in yet, trying to understand how we can sort of like, you know, show people the value upfront and, and give people the right nudges at the right time to, to help encourage them to, become 
actual users who log in. But in terms of what I actually do day to day, right? Like it's it's uh, in a much more sort of broad sense, right? Like I am I am doing I, I am more in the more in the consultant mode uh, mold of a of a uh, data scientist than the like machine learning engineer sort of data scientist, right? Like I am most of the time what I'm doing is doing analyses that are are normally pretty brief putting together some sort of presentation or doc and and presenting that to a team that I work on to try to help the team make the right decisions about what to ship next or or what to work on next or you know what, yeah, what directions we should go and then also doing some sort of more like foundational research to think about like longer term ideas like or more broad understanding of our user base okay so i guess your work more centers around looking at the data, understanding it, and then developing actionable insights for your team and presenting that opposed to, you know, just like hard coding, like a machine learning engineer would. Yes, absolutely. So, I mean, there are, I think that sort of term data scientist is like, uh, it's, it's shifted into being a, a bunch of different jobs. And, and now they're sort of breaking off where there's like data analysts and there's, there's, you know, machine learning engineers who, I think some people think data science, they think like you're building models that go into production and and it's good to know how to do those things especially if that's what you want to do but there are totally data scientists who like i i i use machine learning but i use machine learning generally in the context of well one not all not all the time and if i am using it it's in the context of an analysis to understand like some clustering analysis or something to understand our users better and then on very rare occasion like i am working on a project right now where i'm working on a, a model I'm sort of almost consulting on a team that's working on a model that will go into actual production. But for the most part, yeah, I'm doing analyses and generating insights, that kind of stuff. Yes, I guess another thing, another interesting thing to note is maybe like your analytical skills have been important, but also like your ability to communicate and like present new ideas, like we were mentioning earlier, has also been critical because of the role you're in now, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think like, and it's been a, um, I've been very excited to find out that that is a, a bigger part of my job than I thought it would be. When I first joined, I, th I think this is how it's going to, how it goes for people, right? When you first join and you're, you're new to data science, you're going to probably get some softball projects of like, here's an analysis, go do it. And you're going to be, have a lot of free time to do this analysis and come and write your dissertation on it and present it to people. And maybe you'll have some actionable insights in there, but It'll, you'll be very like, for me at that time, it was very analysis driven. And, and now it's shifted to a role that's much more comfortable for me, which is where I still do that sometimes, but a lot of the times I'm doing like really quick turnaround analyses where I'm like very quickly, like, here's the stuff that's actionable and useful from this. Forget all that. I don't need to understand this question to the same degree that I would need to understand it to write an academic paper on it. I need to learn enough about it to give <laughs> the right advice to the team quickly and become sort of more like an integral member of the decision-making process on the product, which is for me a lot more fun. It's fun to, to feel like you're having an influence on where the, the sort of platform as a whole is actually going, even if it's on your own little corner of it. So what is your decision-making process when it comes to, you know, I don't know if you're directly working with figuring out what uh, data science tools the team should use, but like in terms of your decision-making process, figuring out, uh, you know, what's, what's like the next step for the team? Like, what are they going to focus on next? Or 
how like how do you you know generally make decisions in your day-to-day twitter life yeah well i mean so first i should say it's i you know i am i'm recommending decisions more so than making them right i am like hey i think this is a good idea for where to go um and it, it comes down to a lot of things right i mean yes it's going to be data driven insights right it's going to be hey i found this in the data it suggests that this this direction makes the most sense for us right now or this opportunity is smaller than we thought it was so maybe this maybe this project isn't the one to spend a bunch of sort of like time and effort on but it's also it, there's also intuition to it right it's also like it, if you're lucky enough to be on a team where people like are interested in a data scientist's opinion and want to have a conversation with you and like respect the data science team then you get to also just be like yourself be a person who's like hey i think if we do this it might give us positive growth but i'm concerned about the about sort of this nebulous long term negative impact that this thing could have that it's hard for us to measure right now so maybe we should be a little more conservative right like making those types of arguments is is also part of the job and it's i yeah i i'm sort of, so i'm in, informing decisions with with intuition but also with data and also with like opinions you get to just be like hey i this is what i think and going back to like the presentations you do and those sort of things what like differs in terms of like if you're talking to like machine learning engineers for example what differs if you're talking to them about like you know the insights you get from data and how you're going to make them actionable versus if you're talking with people who don't work at on the data science side at all right you know maybe if they're more on the business side or something else how does that process differ for you? Sure. So I, I will say I don't I don't work super closely with a lot of ML engineers, but I guess I, right now I'm working with with one. But uh, generally, if I'm talking to other data scientists, it's going to be a lot more into the weeds about like, hey, what's the what do you think the right way to use this data set is? How should I sample? You know, or or things like that, or just you know, we'll be answering questions back and forth. It's kind of like a team where we where we help come up with ideas for how to do things the right way or just help each other out um, on, on real on the more sort of complex data side of it. But then we all fan out to the actual product teams that we're all embedded into. And there it's talking in a more more business oriented way. Right? Like you're, you're still going to give data and numbers, but like just the ones that matter <laughs> probably and just the ones that sort of highlight the, the directions that you think make the most well. Things that highlight the direction do you think that are make the most sense to go based on the data, not just like not just like trying to push it in the direction you feel like and finding the right data to do that. But yeah. So I got a little lost in my own thought there sometimes. Um, but maybe maybe got this. Are there any areas in data science specifically or any data science applications you're like eager to see in the future? Or how do you see the whole field, I guess, evolving? I think uh, so in terms of like the actual technology I I am like not the best person for that right like I I think I'm sure there are cutting edge new models that are doing amazing things and I'm sure things will only get more impressive in terms of their ability to predict what you want to see next and you know what you, what you're going to buy and things like that but yeah I think in terms of like I guess I I don't really know what I would want to see from data science I I, I know what I like to see in my own personal <laughs> experience with data science, which is data science scientists being integrated into teams and having their um, opinion be a, val a valued opinion on the team and having it not only be 
like, hey, give us the numbers and we'll do what we want with them. But like, hey, be be an opinionated, important member of this, this team who makes decisions. And I think that's probably varies company to company. That feels like the way it already is at Twitter, or at least the way it is where I work at Twitter. And then in terms of where the field's going, I guess one thing I, I kind of mentioned earlier is that it does seem like it's becoming more fragmented, right? Like it's becoming less the case that being a data scientist means being like a person with a statistics PhD and a, or a machine learning degree who's like doing the most complex modeling all the time. And now it's like, there's some people are going to do that, but they might be called machine learning engineers. And some people are going to be more consultant-y and do, you know, just analyses that still need coding, but not quite to the same degree. And yeah. And there's some people who are going to be building to internal tools who that other people will use. Right. And there's sort of like a, a lot of different molds of data scientists. And I think that's probably just going to keep evolving over time because it's such a broad, <laughs> strange job, I guess. Do you, are there any like issues that you kind of look out for, like in your work, like, if, you know, the data itself is biased or something like that. And are there any issues you're kind of worried about that will worsen if data science gets more integrated into, into different companies? I don't think things should worsen because I think having people who understand, more people who understand the data will only make companies less biased in their decision-making because you can always find someone who will cherry pick a number that gives you the, that supports the management's opinion or whatever, right? Um, but if you have enough opinionated data scientists around, you'll hopefully sort of like get to what's actually closer to the ground truth. In terms of things I watch out for, it's the basics. Like, sure, yeah, you got to watch out for bias in the data. You need to, so some of it's just making sure your data is like clean and you're not like, you know, it's it, despite, you know, being at a big company, it's not like, it's not like the data is always going to be perfectly clean. There's, there's, you know, a billion guests who come through Twitter every month, <laughs> right? Like, and it's, it's not like you're going to have a super easy time always parsing all that data and making sure it's all, it's all exactly the way you expect it to be. So yeah, that, and, and, and then also just like the classics, like making sure you're not just assuming that a correlation means causation, right? Like the thing you learned the first time you learn what a correlation is, but it's still important. And it's still like very easy to, to look at a correlation you see in the data and be like, ha, that means this thing is very important because this thing that I'm thinking about correlates with this good thing. But like, well, yeah, maybe, but probably account for other possibilities too, you know, things like that. Yeah. So I guess one thing is like avoiding being biased yourself, right? Not just like biased yeah. data. Right. And then also I think, you know, one thing I always hear is like people talk about the stark difference of like doing projects, right. With data sets that are already like pretty clean and then actually getting into industry and like the data, it's not like pretty clean or anything. Right. So I guess that can make it a lot harder. Right. Yeah. It's cleaning and also just scale, right. Like there's no project I was working on where it, there's, uh, so I get it, Twitter has 200 and I think it's 230 million active or daily active users, right? So like, if you want to look at what happened one day, you're going to have a very big data set. <laughs> so you have to figure out the right ways to sample or, or how to, how to look at things in a way that'll fit in the memory of your computer or on the, you know, the virtual machine you're using. But and things just take longer, you know, when you're, when you're playing with your, your like toy SQL data set, learning to learning how to use SQL, you are like, 
you run a query and you get back the results just like that. Right? But if you're working with millions or maybe billions of rows, like terabytes to petabytes of data um, for this query, like you probably want to make sure you got it right because it, it might be 15 minutes before you get the data back and you walk and go get a cup of coffee and then look and go like, oh, I messed up. So, you know, it's even just those things where you, you get better at um, being more careful about what you're doing instead of just sort of like guess and check tinkering the way that I think you tend to do when you're first learning. Do you have any advice for like your younger self looking back like maybe five or 10 years ago? It's, it's interesting, right? Like I'm really happy with where I am. So if we're, if we're talking a true time travel situation, I don't think I'd want to say anything, right? But if I'm, you know, playing into the, the hypothetical, yeah, I mean, I would have I told myself probably to focus on one, if you're going to do the PhD, go as much as I really enjoyed the lab I was in, probably go do one that's a little more computational because like my, I think the biggest difficulty I had in my PhD was that uh, I was doing a thing that isn't my strength. Like my strength isn't, biology is like, like, I can memorize things well, but it's also just a lot of like, it takes a lot of patience. You have to really care about it. You have to really think through these hypotheses for what a cell is doing. And if you're bored by that, you're going to be bored and you have to, take a lot of time for it, which meant I like, I wasn't a great student. Like now I'm good, right? Like now I, I work at a company and people like me and, and are, are happy to have me there doing the work that I'm doing. And that makes a huge difference. So yeah, I would have told myself to, to not, not follow the path of least resistance like I did, which was, you know, going and doing a PhD because I wasn't sure what to do next. And instead of spending any time trying to figure out what, what would make me the happiest, just kind of being like, well, I don't want to be lost after college. So I'm going to go to graduate school and I can get into a good graduate school. So I should do it. And I can, you know, like I made a lot of decisions early on that were very, very much like, well, I'm smart and capable. I'm going to take the path of least resistance. I'll still probably be successful. And it's not the right path to to be happy. So, and yeah, I probably would have told myself like, Hey, data science is probably a good path. Cause I could have been, if I had done a master's or something, I could have been in data science six years earlier and be a staff data scientist by now somewhere. Do you think there's any like particular frameworks or things of that nature that you've had or developed that have allowed you to be successful? Like, I think one thing I was super impressed by is the fact that you became a data scientist so quickly. I mean, that's a really impressive thing. A lot of people spend like many years practicing and stuff like that. And you said you were able to work hard and learn things quickly. Do you have any frameworks that have enabled you to be so successful in that regard? I, I probably won't have a very fun, like a uh, useful answer here. Cause the honest answer for me is that it's, it's chaos. Like I, I would love to say that like, oh, I have this great learning framework and I, I read all the books and I do that, but like, I, you know, I, I did a boot camp and I, I studied the stuff that I knew I needed to study. Um, I, I mean, this might be, I don't know if this is a framework, but like figure out what you really need to know and learn that stuff. Don't, don't like try to learn everything. It'll just slow you down. I mean, it's good to know, it's good to gain that knowledge along the way, but there, there's like, there's, there's so much industry specific knowledge you gain once you get in that like, get yourself to a point where you can get your foot in the door. It's like, that's, that's the framework for me. It's like, what is it? What is the minimum viable path to being, to getting your foot in the door? 
and then you'll prove yourself. Then like you'll have the tools around yourself and you'll be successful and you won't have to develop any sort of framework because the framework will exist if you're at a good company or you can go to a startup and uh, have to figure it all out yourself. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Nick. I loved hearing your story about getting your PhD, your experience working as a postdoc researcher and breaking into the data science field and now working as a data scientist at Twitter. If you like this podcast, make sure to follow us or rate us wherever you get your podcasts and stay tuned for more Data Dive podcast episodes like this one. Yeah, thanks for having me on.